feel that this message for us this weekend is also very timely for what is going on in our country because the real battle is spiritual. What's really taking place uh, is a spiritual battle. And we're encouraged to fight in this uh, spiritual realm. So may God open our eyes to this fourth dimension, uh, the reality of uh, what is taking place uh, in the spirit. So would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word this morning. And we don't simply want to be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. We know that you promise us freedom, that you, Jesus, have already won the victory. So Father, may there be greater victory in our lives. Real life change comes as Holy Spirit, you work in us. So we invite you here, Holy Spirit. Father, sometimes we don't know what to do with all of the turmoil that we see in our country, but our eyes are on you. And we do lift up our country to you and ask that you would forgive us of our sin, or we want to return to you, And we ask for the knowledge of you, the gospel, your testimony, the power of God to go out in power. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. In verse one, now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by meekness and gentleness of Christ, who am present and lowly among you, but absent and bold towards you. The Apostle Paul, for reasons unknown to us, has gotten sideways with uh, the Church of Corinth. The Church of Corinth is looking at him with distrust. In this chapter, Paul is really trying to regain that trust and wanting the church to see him through a spiritual lens, to to see him through a spiritual uh, context. The argument against Paul is, well, Paul is really bold in letters, but he's weak in person. When you have him in person, he's weak, but his letters are are really strong. And that was one of their complaints against Paul. And Paul here brings out that I'm going to plead with you in meekness and gentleness. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. We think of a, a large stallion, a horse that has been trained and brought under subjection, brought under uh, control. And Jesus is the creator of the universe. He speaks all things into existence, but yet he lived his life under control, meekness. Jesus was also gentle. The little children would come and sit on his lap. Kids are a good judge of character. They know when they're welcome. They know when they're comfortable. And and Jesus was gentle to the point where children came and sat on his lap. And, And Paul's approaching the church of Corinth in this same manner of meekness, in the same manner of of gentleness. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Paul says, I don't really want to have to come and be all intense with you and be bold uh, uh, with you. And brings up this complaint that they viewed Paul as walking according to the flesh. Which means that if they thought Paul was living in sin, to be walking according to the flesh is dominated by, by sin, where, where sin has control in our lives. Still believers, but giving over to the flesh, and that's what they're accusing the apostle Paul of. In verse 3, Paul takes an interesting turn. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Paul takes it to the spiritual. 
he encourages us to see where the real battle is. We live in the flesh, but our real war, our real battle is not in the flesh. It's in the spirit. It's a spiritual battle. Why would Paul bring this up right now? In the midst of this argument of the church distrusting him is because Paul realizes that the enemy is getting in the way. One of the titles, one of the names that's given to Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So he's going to accuse us personally, but he's also going to cause us to try to bring accusation against other believers. There's not that Paul is in rebellion. It's not that Paul is in gross sin, but yet the church of Corinth feels like they can't trust them. We're living in a time where Satan is really using isolation and division. It's always been tactics of his, but he's focusing in on those tactics right now to try to isolate us and also to divide us. And if we're not careful, we're going to start looking differently at believers. We're going to start dividing with other believers when we should be uniting with believers. So we want to realize this and press in towards being in relationship with one another. It's going to be more difficult right now, but we have to fight for that, to, to be in relationship with each other, and also to unite together. John 17, Jesus prays right before he's crucified this beautiful prayer, and he asks for our unity, that we would be one just as the Father and Son are one, so that the world can see the love of the Father. As our country is divided, as our culture is divided, hopefully people can look at the church, can look at believers, and they can see us united. They can see us loving each other in a way that points them to the reality of who God is. Our unity is not absent of truth. Our unity is in the midst of truth. It's under truth. We're under the umbrella of Jesus and who Jesus is and what he's, he's done for us. So we don't depart from truth in the name of unity. This morning, maybe our eyes need to be opened to the real battle. Are you starting to see your spouse from a different light? Seeing all their flaws and their shortcomings and they're really getting on your nerves and you're wondering, why in the world did I get into this marriage? Where's the enemy in the midst of that? How is he bringing accusation against your spouse? Is they're one of your particular kids. That all you can see is their faults. And you're getting worked up and you're, you're getting frustrated. And where's the, where's the spiritual battle in the midst of, of that? Do you find yourself just fed up with believers Maybe believers aren't responding the way you think that they should. And you're disillusioned with believers. And in your heart, you're like, I I'm checking out with believers. It it's just not worth it. Churches aren't responding the way that they should respond. Is there a Paul type of figure in your life, a mentor or, or a pastor, that for some reason you just don't trust them anymore? And you're like, why don't I trust them? They haven't given me a reason to not trust them, but, but I don't. I don't trust them. This division that's taking place in, in our country, what, what's at play there? Okay, my eyes need to be open to the battle, to see the battle and begin to fight the battle in the spiritual realm and not just in the physical. I'm slow to wake up to this reality. A lot of times when there's stuff going on in our family, there's stuff going on in the church, in our community, it's not my first thought to go, okay, there's a spiritual battle here. 
I'm thinking about it pragmatically. In my foolishness, I'm trying to find ways to solve the problems, be a a problem solver. And I need to wake up quicker to realize, okay, there's a spiritual component here. There's a real battle that's being waged in the spiritual. In Ephesians 6, Paul writes, and he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So it's not a battle between you and your spouse. It's not a, a battle between you, you and someone else, you, you a co-worker. But we wrestle against principalities and powers of, of darkness. In verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So what's a stronghold? A stronghold is when the enemy has the higher ground, has the strategic military advantage. We give a stronghold over to the enemy when we walk in compromise in an area repeated over time. Christ has won the victory. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. The freedom has been given for us to be able to walk in. But let's say it's anger. Let's say it's lust. It's covetousness. It's bitterness. You pick. And we walk in that repeatedly over and over and over And the enemy then has a stronghold in our lives. He's got the high ground, if you would. And we're encouraged from God's word to be proactive to see the Lord break that stronghold to the point where there's victory and there's freedom. Not that there won't be continued temptation and struggle, but there has been a breakthrough that has taken place in our lives. But in order to have the breakthrough, We've got to use the spiritual weapons that God has given to us. He says, for the weapons are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of of strongholds. This Christmas, some Nerf guns came into the family as Christmas gifts. We've been having some Nerf wars, and these are some epic Nerf guns. I mean, I'm talking like this big revolver that you get this big chain of nerf gun bullets and the pump is like up here and it's the big handle makes a pretty cool sound and you just go for it and they're so powerful that you got to be careful with the close range shots we've we've had some that were too close some casualties that have come from shooting too too close to each other face shots So let's say I take one of these new Nerf guns and I roll up to Fort Carson (laughs) to the Green Beret Mountain Division. Say, guys, I'm ready. I got my Nerf gun. Let's do battle. I'm ready for deployment. Let's go into a war zone. I wouldn't stand a chance. They obviously have got machine guns and all kinds of amazing weapons for warfare that are are mighty in the physical world, and and I got a Nerf gun. Is it possible that we've been going to the battle with a Nerf gun? We've been facing these strongholds, going, why am I not experiencing victory? I'm throwing everything that I have at this. What's hard about strongholds is we've had so much defeat in these particular areas it's hard for us to believe that we'll ever have victory. Go, I don't even really want to try again. I've given into this so long and it's had victory. It's got my number. I can't see that I'm going to have victory. Well, maybe we haven't been using the spiritual weapons that God has provided because God's word says 
that these weapons are mighty in God. They're mighty in God. When we use the weapons that he's provided, then he provides a great victory. So what are those weapons? In Ephesians chapter 6, we're given the armor of God to fight this spiritual battle. An offensive weapon that is given to us is the sword of the Spirit. We're encouraged to go on the offensive here over these strongholds. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God, and it's the exacting word of God for a particular struggle that we're going through. Jesus exemplified this in Matthew chapter 4 when he's being tempted by Satan. He didn't quote long sections of Scripture, thankfully. He quoted small sections of scripture that were powerful to what he was going through. Man shall not live by bread alone. So for us, okay, I know that this particular sin has my number. It's a stronghold in my life. So I want to be prepared with the word of God memorized in my heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Sometimes God's word being in our hand is not close enough. Bible Gateway is a great tool. You can go in and type the particular sin struggle, lust, anger, bitterness, and you get every time that it's used in the Bible. When God first got a hold of my life, I fell in love with the Strong's Concordance. That dates me a little bit. This huge concordance where you could look up anger and it would tell you all the times that anger was used in the Bible and then, then get your Bible out and look up those verses. You don't have to do that anymore. You just go to Bible Gateway and you put it in and here's all of these verses, but choose two or three and memorize them. Put them on a three by five card. Put it on a sticky note and stick it in a place where you're gonna see it and get it into your heart and then when temptation comes, when that battle comes, say God's word out loud. There's power in the word of God. Also in Ephesians 6, we're told to pray, to pray always. That's how Paul concludes that section on the armor of God. To really engage in this battle in prayer, our eyes are opened. Okay, this is something that we always hit in our marriage. This is something that I always hit in my singleness. This, this seems to be where the real battle is at, at work. So I'm gonna press in in prayer. These are things that are going on in our country. These are things that are going on in the springs. I'm gonna engage in prayer. I'm gonna engage with the, the word of God. And as we engage over time, this usually is not a quick process. This is engaging over time and God is faithful to bring down the strongholds. I made some decisions in high school that resulted in some strongholds in my, in my life, unfortunately. And in my early 20s, this, I had to fight. It, it didn't come over one month or, or two months. It came of pressing into God's word and memorizing scripture and saying it out loud and inviting people into my life to, to pray with me. I want you to examine for a moment this morning, what are the strongholds in your life? There's strongholds in mine, there's strongholds in yours, and to press into those strongholds to engage in the battle and see the victory that God would bring. We look at verse five, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity of the obedience of Christ. Paul points out the battle of the mind. The world would say, those that don't know the Lord would say, hey, it doesn't matter what your thoughts are. 
They're private. They're not hurting anybody. So who cares what you think about? But the Bible tells us that thought life leads to real life. Not in this weird way that if you picture yourself a millionaire, you're going to be a millionaire. But what you focus on in your mind, the treadmill of your mind, will eventually become your actions. And your actions will become your character, and your character defines your lifestyle. So when there's adultery, where has that begun? It's begun in the mind. That's been going on for a long time, and it was unchecked, and then it's, it's lived out. When someone commits murder, there's that anger that's been stewing in their hearts and their minds for a long period of time, and then finally the flip is switched. I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder, what was Cain's thought life like towards Abel before he killed his brother? It probably wasn't just that day when God accepted Abel's offering and then he went all homicidal. He's like, okay, this is it. I'm sure there was this hatred towards Abel that was building up over time. There was this jealousy that was going unchecked. So, so thought life is going to lead to real life. So we are called here to cast down every argument, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. That anger, that lust, that bitterness, that covetousness, it's, it's actually an assault to the knowledge of God. It's getting in the way of me being able to focus on who God is and knowing him in a greater way than take every thought captive. If someone is taken captive, that is going on the aggression. We're to go on the uh, aggressive, on the attack mode to say, I'm going to take my thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to stop thinking about, about this and start thinking about who Christ is and meditating upon the scripture. The battle's won and lost in the mind. That's where we really wage warfare in this area of strongholds. In verse 6, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You're prepared. Prepared to punish disobedience with obedience. The way to conquer disobedience is through obedience. It's interesting with sin and struggles and strongholds is there's peace times. There's times where you're not really facing temptation or defeat. And what do you do in those peace times? Be prepared. Get ready because the temptation's coming and, and we want to be ready to, to punish disobedience. Verse seven, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? So with our spiritual glasses, our spiritual lens, we want to see the real battle, but we also want to see the inward reality. Paul asks this question, do you look at things according to the outward appearance? And he's going to talk about the way the church of Corinth views him, views Paul. It's been extra challenging during these difficult times to view people the way that God would want us to. To view people through the lens of Jesus loves them, he died for them, he created them, they're made in the image of God. For those that know Christ, this is my brother and my sister in Christ. To those that don't know the Lord, they could be my brother or sister in, in Christ. Are we looking at the outward appearance instead of looking at that inward reality? How many times do we just measure somebody out by the outward appearance? 
And we don't take the time to look deeper with who they are as a person and what's going on in their heart. So what took place for Samuel, the prophet. He was called by God to go to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king of Israel. Saul had blown it. Jesse has many sons and the sons are paraded before Samuel and Samuel's like, this guy looks good. Physically, he looks like a king. Intellectually, he thinks like a king. He's got all the attributes of leadership. He is clearly the next king of Israel. But Saul had all of those things. Saul was really man's choice, but Saul didn't have that heart for the Lord. God keeps saying no to these impressive representatives, David's brothers, to the point where Samuel's like, do you have any more sons? Is there any chance you didn't invite one of your sons? And this is how the family, including Jesse, saw David. They didn't even think to invite him. He's just the young runt kid that's taking care of sheep with a snot nose, right? Even if they didn't really even consider him to be a potential king, you'd think they would invite him to the party. They'd invite him to the event. One of the brothers is going to be anointed to king, a big family history. You'd think David would be there. But no, he's left out in the field. God has to speak to Samuel because Samuel's struggling with this. I'm really going to anoint this kid to be the future king of Israel. God says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. What God saw in David was a young man after his own heart. He saw a worshiper. He says, this is who I want to, to be king. Who are we missing in our lives because we're looking at the outward appearance? Who are we overlooking? We go on, if anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. So if we consider ourselves to belong to Jesus, we have to realize that he has ownership of us, that we're his possession. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for destruction, I shall not be ashamed. As Paul is talking about authority and influence, he says the reason for authority is for edification, not destruction. We should always keep that in mind. If the God has given you leadership in any facet of life, it's for the purpose of building people up and not destroying people. In verse 9, lest I seem to terrify you by letters, for his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. They're really beating up on Paul. Yeah, Paul's in the flesh. He's walking in sin. He likes to be real strong and powerful in his letters, but in person, he's super weak and his speech is contemptible. He's not a strong orator. He's not a, a good speaker. And Paul realizes that this is what's taking place. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we're absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. Paul's saying, don't you worry. If you think I'm powerful in letters, I'm going to bring the heat in person as well. If the church of Corinth could miss out on the ministry of Paul because of the work of the enemy, I think this is an issue that we should address. 
This is an issue that we should look at. Because from our perspective here, we're like, man, I would love to have some receiving from the Apostle Paul. I would love to sit under his teaching for six months. I'd love to have coffee with, with the Apostle Paul. Hey, you can come over to my house. We'll grab Chipotle. Let's do this, right? But the Church of Corinth is actually looking at Paul as someone who's not for them, who's someone who's not loving God, someone who is not following the Lord. So we could get our wires crossed too and, and miss out on someone that could be a real blessing in our lives. Verse 12, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves are comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. There's a lot of themselves in verse 12. With our spiritual glasses, our spiritual lenses, we want to see the danger of comparison. The natural course of things, as Paul's trying to rebuild trust, is he's going to start to compare himself with others. This happens even in ministry. Well, this is how many churches I've started. Well, this is how large our church is. This is how much the, the budget is. And Paul could play that game to try to build credibility. He's got quite the resume. He's been all over the known world at the time planting churches. But he says it's not wise to do that. It's not wise to compare yourselves among yourselves or to commend yourself. We want to be freed up from this comparison game. We live in a comparison culture, don't we? Young girls growing up looking at Disney princesses, going, this is how I have to look. For me to be beautiful, I've got to look like this. I don't even know if it's anatomically possible to look like that, right? All the images that are putting before young teen girls, they come to this conclusion that I'm not beautiful and I'm not ugly, and I'm ugly. Young boys growing up and looking at all these big, huge, buff guys and like, oh man, that's what I've got to be. That's the standard for me is to, to look like this. Notice on all the beer commercials, they don't put ugly people on beer commercials. I doubt that they're drinking a ton of beer if they look like that, right? But we look at that and go, man, I, I've got to look like the person on the beer commercial. I, I don't look like that. So there must be something wrong with me. And we're comparing ourselves with one another, even on the physical. We constantly compare each other on our jobs. Hey, what do you do? Oh, hmm. That's a pretty cool job. If you don't have one of those cool jobs, you're like, well, will I do this? Somehow I've got more identity, more value, more worth by what job I do. We're measured by our accomplishments. What did you accomplish in life? What did you accomplish in, in sports? Even in parenting, we're comparing ourselves with each other. Well, why do you feel like a bad mom? Why do you feel like a bad dad? Well, because I'm comparing myself to one of my friends, and they never lose their patience, as far as you know, <laughs> right? God wants to free us from this comparison, the danger with comparison is it's going to lead to one or two things. It's either going to lead to pride or condemnation. When we see somebody else and we're doing better than them, we're like, oh, I'm doing pretty good, right? 
But then when we find somebody, and we will, who's doing better than us, we feel like a complete failure. Paul lifted his eyes higher, and he wanted to please the Lord. In Galatians 1.10, he writes, he says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He's living to please the Lord. He's finding him as self-secure in God's love, not trying to be a men-pleaser, but be a God-pleaser. You can't have it both ways. John the disciple, he got this. And when he wrote the Gospel of John, he never refers to his own name. He simply says the disciple whom Jesus loves. That's freedom. I'm loved by the Lord. That's what I want to be known by. That's what I want to boast in. Don't have to compare. Can live free of that. Verse 13, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. Paul's aware that God has given him a sphere of influence and a sphere of responsibility, and he doesn't want to overextend himself outside of that, but he believes the church of Corinth to be inside of his spiritual influence. That's something to pray about and consider. God, what's the sphere that you have given me to? What, what sector of life have you called me to? How do you know that? Well, where do you have God's favor? Oh man, when I do this, it just seems like it has God's blessing on it. That's your sphere of influence. That's not to be taken for granted. And seek to blossom inside of that. Plant yourself in, inside a, of that. Verse 14, for we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. It makes sense that the church of Corinth would be under Paul's sphere of influence because Paul brought the gospel to them. Paul was able to see this church birthed. In verse 15, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. As the church of Corinth grows and increases and their faith increases, God uses them to take the gospel to other regions and Paul's influence grows, his sphere grows. If you love, care, serve, disciple someone and they go and reach others for Christ, in a way, your influence has expanded. Paul quotes here from Jeremiah chapter nine and it's very purposeful. He says, for he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Jeremiah 9.23 says this, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. So we're not glorying in our physical strength, our mental intellect, our possessions, but let him who glories, glories in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So we're gonna boast in anything, find identity in anything. We wanna do it in the fact that we know the Lord. And very quickly, we find ourselves boasting in God's grace. Because we can't take credit for the fact that we know the Lord. <laughs> we're sinners. He loved us while we were sinners. He loved us while we didn't wanna have anything to do with him. He pursued us. 
We go, man, God has been gracious to me. We're boasting in the grace of God. We're boasting in the, the love of God. So Paul says, I am not going to compare myself, but I'm going to glory in the Lord, and I'm going to glory in the grace that God has given to me. Ends the chapter with this. For not that he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. So it really doesn't matter if we commend ourselves. It really doesn't matter if we feel like we're up to the task or not. Or if other people commend us. If other people think, oh yeah, you can, you can do this or you have succeeded. What matters is if the Lord approves. What matters is, is the Lord in this? As Paul serves as a pastor, apostle, missionary, is the Lord in it? Has the Lord put his stamp of approval on Paul's life and ministry? Spiritual lenses, spiritual glasses causes us to see what the real battle is. For our eyes to be opened that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and and powers. To have our eyes open to the inward reality, to, to see people the way that God sees them. Are you missing out on a Paul in your life? For some reason, you're starting to see them in a light that's not the way that God sees them. Is there a division that maybe has come between you and another believer and the enemy's at the heart of it and he's wanting us to get back to that place of seeing each other through spiritual lenses, through the blood of Jesus? Have we really gotten stuck, trapped, tripped on comparing ourselves? Doesn't social media really draw us into comparing ourselves with one another? We don't put our real selves on social media. We put our best selves on social media. And you maybe felt great about your anniversary until you saw pictures from your friend's anniversary dinner. And you're like, man, I guess ours wasn't that great. Because we begin to comparing. You felt great about your camping vacation trip in Colorado. When you went camping this summer, you're like, oh, I love Colorado. I love camping. This is so wonderful. And then you saw your friends trip to a tropical location. You're like, how did they even get there in the midst of COVID virus? That was the worst camping trip ever, (laughs) right? You feel fine about your vehicle until you compare it with the other vehicles on Facebook Marketplace. I'm okay with my grass until I look at my neighbor's grass. Then I'm mad, right? Because I'm comparing it. Comparing it to, to what they, they have. A better way to live. For God to free us up to where we get to glory in the fact that we're loved uh, by the Lord. Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these exhortations that are before us. Help us to see the battle as spiritual and engage in the battle. Lord, please help us to see one another the way that you see us. 
Help us not to get frustrated with each other. To have a real love for the body and a fervent love and real love for those that don't know you. Father, please set us free from comparing and to be able to rejoice in the fact that we're loved by you. So would you help us to bring application to your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I've been wrestling with this section of scripture because I think it's very easy for me to be a hearer of the word, share the word, but not be a doer of the word. We can go through 2 Corinthians 10 and get the understanding that the battle is spiritual, but yet nothing really changed when it comes to tomorrow morning, Monday morning. Because if we're going to see God bring down strongholds in our lives, in our church, our community, our country, you know what that means? Is we're gonna have to go to war. We gotta go to war. And there's gonna be sacrifice. I was talking with a couple of guys in between service. They're here at the nine o'clock service and they both serve in the army and have had several deployments, four or five deployments and served in Iraq and Afghanistan during really intense conflicts. And they looked me in the eyes and they said, you know, Eric, we were just talking about strongholds and there's never been a stronghold that hasn't been taken without sacrifice. The enemy knows that they have the upper hand and they're expecting for you to come. And there's always sacrifice that comes to take the stronghold. But then they shared with me that once the stronghold is taken, everything folds up. The, the army's able to move in and, and they've, they've taken that ground. In order for us to see God bring down strongholds, we gotta get uncomfortable. We got to get to a place where anger and bitterness and lust and covetousness, these things that we've given into over and over and over again, all of a sudden we're like, I'm not okay with that any longer. I'm not going to accept that this is going to be the norm and this is going to be the reality in my life. To begin to look at what's going on in our families and our, our relationships and say, Where, where's the enemy really had a, a stronghold? I'm going to press into this through God's word. I'm going to press into this through prayer. Press into this by inviting other believers to fight with me. We sang this morning that we're going to fight the battle on our knees. What if we meant that? What if we were uncomfortable enough where we didn't simply just complain, but we started to pray? 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, turn from their wicked way, that I'll heal their land. God wasn't speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to us. To us, if we'll see that the real battle is in prayer and to begin to cry out to the Lord for what's going on in our own lives, but also 
in the lives of, of others. We've talked a lot this morning about the strongholds for us personally, but what are the strongholds in our city? What are, what are the strongholds in our country? And to also engage in that battle to say, God, you're commissioning me. This is a, a nice little message to hear, but the reality of it is, is God is commissioning you to fight. And we can choose to say, no, I want to be comfortable instead. It's too hard to fight. There's too much sacrifice to fight. And we all wrestle inside of that space. I like being comfortable. Sometimes it's easier to just accept the strongholds and accept the defeat and take this false comfort instead of pressing in to say, okay, it's worth the sacrifice. Yeah, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be difficult, but the victory on the other side is worth it. Because the Lord declares that mighty in God are these weapons for the pulling down of strongholds. So may we get uncomfortable enough to where we don't accept it any longer. And if pornography has dominated your life, no more. Get uncomfortable with it. Say, okay, God, I'm gonna really press into you. And over time, see God bring a breakthrough. If it's anger, no more. I don't have to live in this pattern of anger. I'm gonna press into the Lord. And over time, see God bring a, about a great victory. As we live in this beautiful city, the dark side of Colorado Springs, is suicide plagues us. We have some of the highest suicide rates in the whole entire country of all ages, youth included. So as we keep winning all these awards of the nicest place to live, people are killing themselves at such a, a high rate. And we wanna enjoy this city for everything that it has to offer as a blessing from the Lord, but we also wanna press into the pain of this city. Not just go on hikes, not just enjoy the in and outs here, not just open our garage doors and pull into the garage door and close the garage door and go, yeah, this is a great place to live. Yes, it is. But to press into the pain of the city and let's pray that God breaks the stronghold. It's a spiritual battle that's taking place that God would give hope to the hopeless and start to look around and go, who's in my family that's feeling hopeless? You know, Who's in my workplace that's feeling hopeless? Who's in my school that's feeling hopeless? I'm gonna love on them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray for them. The strongholds that we see in our country to press into that pain, to pray and say, Lord, bring about this great victory. So as we close this morning and sing of God being the great I am, if you're facing a stronghold and you'd like prayer, come and receive prayer. Online, if you're facing a stronghold, please ask for prayer. If you need to receive Christ as your savior, Jesus loves you, he died for you, he rose again, he's ready to bring you into a saving relationship with him. The biggest breakthrough is trusting Christ for salvation. The need to believe in Christ is because it determines whether you go to heaven or hell. But it's God calling you into a loving relationship with him, the love that you're really longing for and you're looking for. Maybe the first step this morning is to come and receive prayer in an area of stronghold, to come and receive Christ as your savior. So if you need to respond, please do so. But even more than that, as we sing of God being the great I am, let's hear his voice through his word and say, okay, God, 
You're calling me. You're commissioning me to fight. And the humbling thing is sometimes our spiritual maturity doesn't match our spiritual warfare. For some of us, it's like we know the word. We've read the word. We study the word. We, we share the word. But we're really not fighting. Where we've been kind of complacent. We've been comfortable. And we're scared. We're a little bit scared. Because if we really engage in this battle, we know we're going to lose some comfort. But it's going to be worth it. Because God is commissioning to us. And I believe the victories are going to be worth it. I believe that the victories of pressing into the battle and in facing the hardship, because another way to describe breakthrough is healing. God bringing healing in marriages. God bringing healing with relationship with kids. God setting people free from sexual addiction and drug addiction and, and alcohol. Not having to live your life dominated with, with anger any longer. People in our community coming out of darkness into light. It's worth it. It's worth it. But yes, it is uncomfortable. So Father, we do wait on you. And as, as we sing to you of being the great I am, we want to sing in faith that as we press into you, that you can bring great victory in our lives. We do pray over our community and our country. Areas of darkness and area of stronghold that you, Jesus, would, would go and take that land for your name and for your glory. So Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.